0: Good morning all snuck in during the worship set. There you are. We're all here. We made it. Good job. I'm Nicole Eunice. I'm part of the team here at Hill City, and I'm really glad to welcome you this morning. If you're new with us, we just want to say welcome. This is a safe place to explore your faith. It is okay anywhere you are on the journey, which we're actually going to talk about this morning. So um, we're glad you're here. We're glad that you are spending a few minutes with us. And what we do in this worship service is we worship the Lord, as we just did. Um, we get to be led and worship by such. Beautifully talented people, but I want you to know that more talented than what you see is their hearts for the Lord, Um, and that's why you probably feel something when you come to is because we're being led into the presence of God, and I really do believe that God is with us, and that because of Jesus, everything changed. And that's actually what our series is about. It's called Something Is Happening. And we're looking back at the early church, at these early beginnings that have us seated in this room today. What happened at that time when Jesus ascended to heaven after he was crucified and resurrected? And he told his disciples to wait, to wait on something. And what they waited on was this experience that we talked about last week of the Holy Spirit coming to them, coming to all believers. That was new. So this idea of spirit, which is part of who God is, this Holy Spirit appeared in the Old Testament at particular times and with particular people. But it wasn't until after Jesus was resurrected and ascended to heaven that the Holy Spirit came to all believers and that everything changed. And we see that change happening and that change is what we're in even today because we too have access to the gift of the Holy Spirit who's with us. So we're, we're looking at what that means and how do we actually practice following Jesus? What does it look like in our everyday life to be encountering and experiencing God because of the Holy Spirit? So last week, John talked about that that thing that happened, and today actually is um, the day on the church calendar called Pentecost. This is the day that we celebrate the Holy Spirit coming to those believers that we talked about last week, and we're gonna look at sort of the practical ways that plays out in our life. What happened to people? What happens to us, and what does it look like to actually do that together? So um, this sort of story happened. They received this power. Um, This power was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gave them the ability to begin praising God, And we see a pattern start to develop in the early church. Something wonderful happens. Remember what uh, John talked about last week. People started speaking in tongues, but it wasn't like they spoke in something that people couldn't understand. It's that everyone listening there in Jerusalem could hear the God being praised in their own language. And imagine what that would mean for the early church. You probably saw it because of the map last week. If everyone's together in one place, like if we, if we all went to New York City from 50 different countries and we all experienced something in New York City together and then we all back, went back to our own country, imagine how that message would spread, Right? I I did some work, mission work, in South Africa, and I was always amazed at what from America would spread to even the poorest parts of a country in Africa. And do you know what spread? Sorry, by Justin Bieber. That was it, like there was like, people were singing that song, I'm like this is it, this is the message, this is the thing that has spread. So, I mean, I like that song, I just, I was surprised. So, but imagine that happening, imagine the strategy that God had, that the power of the Holy Spirit came, and all these people were together, they heard God being proclaimed in their own language and then they went back to their own country. And we see this rapid spreading of the message of Jesus that begins then. So we're going to look ahead a little bit and see what happened with those believers. But in order to do so, I just want to to sort of orient us to kind of the crowd around what was happening. And in a lot of ways, this is us today. We're like the crowd around what's happening in Christianity. So I made you guys a little graph. So if you're listening to the podcast, I'll just describe it to you. So on this like vertical axis, we have high curiosity, low curiosity. This is just generally as a human being how open we are to something new how interested we are in understanding the world around us, right? So we've got high curiosity to low. And then on this horizontal axis, we have low commitment to high commitment. So how much are we living into what we believe? And so in this quadrant and in this crowd around what's happening in the early church, we've kind of got these groups of people. And today we also have these groups of people, right? So let's start over here in um, sort of low curiosity, low commitment. Basically, I'm not interested in changing, and I'm not really interested in what I believe. And over here, we would sort of have like an agnostic point of view or maybe atheist. So I'm I'm probably not actually in this room unless someone forced me to come. Like, I'm not really open or really interested in the things of God. Um, I, I, I'm not. I, I might say that I'm sort of culturally curious, or I might have thoughts about what I believe about the Christian Church politically, but I'm not actually engaging with: is there really is there a God? Is there is there more to this world? Was Jesus real? Okay, that's those are very different questions than cultural critique of the church. Am I do I have an experience of God? What do I think about myself in relationship to how this world was made? So that, that's low commitment, low curiosity, right? And then if we move up, let's say we have low commitment, but we're, we're curious, we're interested, but we're not, we're not committed. We have a lot of questions. We have a lot of doubts, but we, we find ourselves strangely open to what's happening. We would probably call that like a seeker mentality. I'm, 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 I'm kind of around, but I don't quite know what I believe yet. And then we've got this group that's like high curiosity, high commitment. I've been very open to what's happening in me. I'm open to what God might be doing. And in addition to that, I've sort of found a foundation in my beliefs. Like I really do believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he was raised from the dead. I believe in this idea of a Holy Spirit that comes to dwell with us. I believe that God has called human beings to have purpose in this world. I'm exploring and understanding what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God, this sort of nebulous but real powerful reality, and we would call that a believer, right? So we're over here, or a follower of Jesus. And then we have, I'm gonna change colors. We've got high commitment, low curiosity. I believe, I say that I believe, but I'm actually not very open. I'm not really examining myself. I'm not really engaging with a dynamic relationship with God, and I would call this, at best, stale and at worst, dead. So we're going to just put some Xs. We're trying to avoid that area, okay? This is one of the most dangerous places for Christians. This is probably where people would have the most judgment of Christians. You're very firm in your beliefs, but you don't seem very interested in your own growth, right? We would call that, another word would be like a hypocrite. And so all of us are somewhere on this journey. And at a lot of times we're moving. We can be sort of moving on this journey, right? And we can have times where the commitment feels lower, we're having some doubts, or there's times where the curiosity seems lower, we're weary, we're tired. But in, the, in reality, when we talk about the early church and who we're going to see in this passage, we're talking about this group of people right here. What's happening here? And, and what do these people look like? What is the fruit of their life so let's just take a quick look and see what changed when the spirit came to people when they had that openness to god and they were committed and believed in who god's who god was and what he said let's look at what happens in their life it says all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals including the lord's supper and to prayer all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were saved. So the people in this fourth quadrant, this high belief, high commitment, high curiosity quadrant, were living and bearing fruit in a certain kind of way. And the fruit that they bore was a whole new framework for life, right? They had a new way of thinking. They had a new framework for understanding God. They had a new framework for understanding themselves. They had a new way of feeling. They didn't seem very worried about what people thought of them. They seemed really interested in having a lot of joy. There was a lot of joy. There was a lot of praising. There was a lot of thankfulness. There was a lot of gratitude. And they also were just acting radically different. There was this spirit of generosity among them. They were just sharing all that they had. There's just this openness of spirit. I think a generosity is something that goes so far beyond our financial resources. I think you guys probably have met or know someone who's generous of spirit. You know that feeling like someone like that? They're just they bring a lot of joy wherever they go. They seem always wanting to serve the people around them. They're just like a good time, you know? And I think about what people think of Christians today, and I ask myself, are we living in this quadrant? Because it seems, to, it seems to tell us in Scripture that something was different about these new believers, and these young believers, these new believers, were full of this whole new way of living. They were thinking differently. They were feeling differently. They were acting differently. They were these remade people. Well, here's the kicker. At the center of that graph, oh, let me see if I have another one. I think I do. Oh, look, I prepared. Okay, at the center of this graph right here, this movement, this way, at the center of this movement, this direction, is something that we don't like to talk about that much in our culture. It just flies in the face of like, what we hear and, and experience in our world, because at the center of this movement was Repentance. What happens again and again in scripture is repentance. Now repentance isn't even a word we use that much. So I wanna give you guys a definition of what repentance is. Repentance is this changing of the mind. It's a reorientation of our soul towards God's way of truth and righteousness. It's basically being able to say, I haven't been getting it right. The way I'm living is not the way of actual good life and there's a different way to live, and the movement that happens in this graph is actually centered around repentance. Let me show you three times that that happens just in the book of Acts. Just a little bit after the passage that I just read you, they're all worshiping together, God's adding to their number, more and more people are joining them. This is what it says. Um, Peter actually preaches a sermon. He says to people who are interested, so we're probably kind of in the seeker category. they're, They're open, but they're not committed. And he, he talks to these open but not committed people and he lays out the story of faith. He says, this man Jesus came and he was attested to, his authority was attested to by signs and wonders. He is the Messiah that you've been waiting for. But he was crucified and he was, he was buried and he was resurrected. This same Jesus that you crucified is actually the living God and he gives them this message and their hearts are stirred. And I love this phrase, it says that when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were like, oh, that's, that's the beginning of repentance. It's like, oh, maybe, maybe some way that I'm living or thinking or believing is not the deal. Like maybe there's more, right? And so they're cut to the heart, and they say, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replies, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then look, and then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. This is like, if we could have a message in a bottle that got buried for us and then like brought to us, it's like Peter is speaking into the generations to come. In in the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter, a man, who only knew his life in ancient sort of Judea, is like, hey, this thing that happened is a huge deal, like John talked about last week. It's a huge deal, so much so that in the power of the Spirit, Peter, this one man, is able to say, this promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, every single person that the Lord God will call. That's our story. That's, that's us. Like back from ancient days, Peter is like speaking into what we're doing in this room today. And it's all around this idea of repenting so that you may be forgiven and that you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Next passage. Again, Peter finds himself in another crowd. He tells the story again. He's like, here's the situation. This is this man, Jesus. He did signs and wonders. He is the one who was prophesied to come. He is the fulfillment of the law. He is the one who brings love, who brings the kingdom of God. And again, people are listening, and he says to them, repent of your sins. So again, we see this word, repent, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Repent, forgiveness, and then look at this. Times of refreshment will come to you from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. You see a pattern developing here. It's like, hey, in order to experience this, you're gonna have to turn from your own way. And when you turn from your own way, you're gonna experience forgiveness. And when you experience forgiveness, you're gonna experience power. You're gonna experience refreshment. You are going to be given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Finally, a third one. Acts chapter 11, later on. Now, what happened was that Peter started telling the Jews, the people who were already kind of faithful to God, he was preaching to them. And then this massive thing happens that's even bigger than Peter could have experienced, which is that he begins to realize, he begins to understand, no, this message isn't just for the Jewish people. This message is for everyone. Most of us here would qualify as Gentiles. If you don't have have a Jewish lineage in your life, then you're a Gentile, that's everybody else. And so as Peter is experiencing the kingdom of God just spreading rapidly and all of these people are experiencing the goodwill, the gift of the Holy Spirit, he's actually changed. He repents himself. He actually has a change of mind that we see here. And he says, so if God gave them, meaning the Gentiles, the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? You see, even Peter is still in this high curiosity He's like, oh my gosh, God's opening my mind to what he's doing, it's not just for the Jewish people, it's for the Gentiles, it's for the whole world. And when they heard this, they had no further objections, they praised God, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So we see this pattern over and over again. This pattern of high curiosity, high commitment, creates people who think differently, who feel differently, who act differently, the source of this good life, the way that they move into this good life is because of repentance. It's not that repentance is the act that you have to do, it's just that is what happens. Our mind changes, the orientation of our heart changes, and when that happens, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We come into that place of salvation, and it's a beautiful, beautiful place. But this is so different than the way we treat sin in our world right now that we have to realize that no matter what you believe, whether you grew up in the church or you're in that seeker category, you're just interested, you've got to realize that the way we're dealing with character defects in our culture right now is, is altogether different than this. And because of that, as believers, if we want to understand, we have got to understand the practice of repentance and confession for ourselves because it is the gateway to healing. It's the gateway to freedom. It's the gateway to joy. It sounds simple, but in reality, changing your mind, realizing that you were wrong about something, and then having the humility to surrender your side is actually a true, huge change. It's a life change. And that's what we see happening when people encounter the teachings of Jesus. It's not just about judgment or guilt. It's not about just morality. It's about an entirely new way of living, of loving. It's a new way of peace and purpose in life, on earth, and life to come. But repentance is such a strange idea to us in our culture. Let's think about a couple of things that might come to your mind when I say confession. How about this one? This is a piece of art, and you can see here, we have a priest in a confessional booth with someone kneeling next to him while he leans over to listen to a confession. If you grew up Catholic, you might be like, ugh, you know, ugh. Is this this what it means? I gotta go tell somebody all of... My sin, I have to say all the things, right? So we're like, ooh, no thank you, that's distasteful. And the other thing about this is interesting is I picked this piece of art because I actually think in our post post postmodern culture, we actually think this is kind of dumb. It's like sort of beneath us, like ooh, that was like people who weren't modern, right? That they, would, that they would think that would help, right? That's just a little bit of what's out there in our culture. So maybe another kind of image that you might have of confession or sort of like that idea of repentance is like this, right? The courtroom. Courtroom drama, you're up in the witness stand, like ooh, you know, and this is, I mean obviously this is a funny one, but in general, when we think about repentance or confession, we may have two images that come to mind, and I want to invite us to a third way, a different way when it comes to how we encounter God. So let's talk about what repentance isn't. Repentance is not cowering under judgment. It's not about straightening out our life before we come to God. It's not about feeling bad and guilty about our life and coming to God with our head hung down. Although sometimes, godly sorrow does bring us to repentance, sometimes we do have to feel that feeling because a new understanding of righteousness and removal of guilt is a huge part of our life with Jesus. A huge part of life with Christ is the process of the removal of guilt. A lot of us, I think, that just think to be a Christian means to feel guilty all the time. If I'm a Christian now, all I know is that there's a new code of morality and I don't measure up to it. So I'm just gonna feel guilty all of the time. And my question is, does that make you joyful? Do you know a guilty, joyful person? Like, no, it's, it's, it's not, so there's something missing in our understanding of the kingdom of God if our understanding of Christianity is, now I know more rules that I don't live up to. And we wonder why we got our heads hung down and we're dragging our lives around. Because for so many of us, we haven't experienced the part of Christianity that is the removal of guilt. Because we don't, we don't wanna do the first part, right? Like, we gotta do, like, good news, bad news, good news. Like good news is the invitation. Good news is the invitation. You are invited to the kingdom of God just as you are. The bad news is you gotta bring your whole self. So so the whole thing's coming. And then the good news is that Jesus himself is inviting you to freedom from guilt, to be refreshed in the spirit, to have power and purpose and healing and life. But somewhere along the way, like some of us just like, we get, there's an off ramp, and we, we never got to the next part. And that, my friends, is not what we see in the early church. Because if the early church was just experiencing that, why in the world would these people be in the church? Like it was a time of high persecution. Many people lost their lives for saying yes to Jesus. So if, if, if Christianity was just made, meant to make you feel more guilty for things that you didn't know that you were supposed to feel guilty about, why in the world would people be doing it? Why would they be sharing? Why would they be generous? Why would they be praising God? Why would they be enjoying the fellowship of one another if not because something is happening and this something happening is this removal, this refreshment, this freedom that comes from repentance. Repentance is not primarily actually about feelings at all. Repentance is a change of the mind. It's a reorientation of the soul And it's a gateway to life, healing, and joy. People not repenting, people not being willing to see themselves for who they really are is a primary lament of God in Scripture. It's like the thing that makes God sad in Scripture is people not being willing to be on that high curiosity spectrum. Check out this verse, Jeremiah 8. None of them repent of their wickedness, saying, what have I done? meaning no one is willing to say how much of my life is mine to to own what's gone wrong. Each pursues their own course like a horse charging into battle. You ever watch your child struggle? You ever see them make decisions, whether it's a preschooler who's trying to put their pants on backwards or a teenager who's making small choices that you know they have to make to figure out their own way? But have you ever watched them Go their own way. Have you felt that feeling in your heart that's like, oh, I see what you're doing here, and it's leading to a bad path, but you've got to figure it out, right? There's like a little part of that. You've got to figure it out. And God, our Heavenly Father, your spiritual parent, is watching us. And sometimes I think he's asking, like, why aren't they asking, what have I done? Why aren't they engaging with who they really are? This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. See, the invitation of God is an invitation to good news. The part that's the bad news for us as human beings is we have to face who we really are. And that takes some work, right? Like, that takes a little bit of work to actually face who we really are. It's hard because we have to face our unfiltered reality. We may try to avoid those feelings. We may try to filter our reality. But the truth is we all will face our sadness and our sorrow and the gap between who we want to be and who we really are. We will all face it at some point. You're either avoiding it right now or you're facing it, but at some point, you will have to face it. Look what scripture says, there's two kinds of sorrow. There's godly sorrow that brings repentance that leads to salvation, and I love this part, and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. You see, there's no other option. There's not a third option. There's not, but Instagram sorrow is filtered. No, like, there's only the two. And and at some point, as human beings, we all have to face our reality. In my very early career, I was a personal trainer. And a personal trainer, it's not actually that hard. Like, you're like, like, less calories have to go in, um, and generally you have to work out, right? And so I'd be working out with people, they would come all the time, like two to three times a week, and they're like, nothing's changing. And in my mind, I was like, because you're not, you're not actually doing what you say you're doing, right? Like, you know that. You know, and you're, you've been that person. You've been the person who's like, I don't know what's happening. I don't know why I'm not getting stronger. Well, um, I just, I, sometimes I lifted like one, I did a bicep curl while I sipped my coffee in the morning. And somehow that's not paying off. Like, it's just, we think we are more than we are. And as a personal trainer and as a therapist and as a pastor, like I have great compassion for all of us thinking that we are more than we are because I think I'm more than I am. And then we get this moment where you catch your appearance in a shop window or someone takes a picture of you when you're not expecting it and you're like, who is that person? Because that's who you really are. Or you're in the dressing room and you're like, this is too many mirrors. You're just like, I don't want to see this I don't like this lighting, right? You know, like, or who washed my pants? I don't know why they're tight today. You know, like, all the ways that we try to hide, and obviously I'm making light and making jokes around fitness, but this is, I'm talking about our soul right now, right? We've got these souls where the question is, like, am I willing to examine my reality? Am I willing to engage the gap between who I think that I am and who I actually am? And if you don't know who you actually are, when's the last time you were in traffic and you prayed a blessing over the person next to you as they cut you off or drove 10 miles under the speed limit? Okay, that's who you really are. That's who I really am, right? And this is the invitation to, that one really hit hard, guys, sorry. Be nice to everyone when you leave the parking lot today. The top right of our graph was opposite of the feelings that we might have where we don't want to live in, we don't want to feel those feelings. We can either deal with life our way or we can deal with it God's way. So why would you consider a change of mind toward Jesus? If you've been in the church forever or if you're just a seeker anywhere you are, why would you consider repentance or confession as a practice? Here's what I wrote. Because you feel stuck because you feel shame or rage about things that have happened to you or with you, because you feel empty or purposeless or you feel disoriented, because you don't think your life matters all that much, because you're just finding out that living for yourself isn't nearly as satisfying as you thought it would be. These are the kinds of people who are interested in who Jesus is and what he offers. And every time we examine ourselves and understand who we really are, we get closer to this place of turning away from our own way and turning toward what Jesus has for us. This is why we confess. This is why we repent. The first reason is because Jesus says so. This is the first thing that Jesus says as he enters his earthly ministry. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. There's two verbs, right? believe the good news. Yes, awesome. We love we love the good news. It is so important that we understand the grace of God, the invitation of God, the love of God, the gift of the Holy Spirit who brings your life purpose and healing and comfort. But the first part is repent. It's like the first thing that Jesus said. So as believers, we we got to take it kind of seriously that repentance, this turning away from our own way is a regular practice for those who are followers of Jesus. Repentance is that gateway to presence, healing, and joy. Proverbs 28.30 says, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Doesn't that fall on your ears as such a foreign idea in our culture? We're in a world right now that says, Accept every part of who you are. You can just just explain away whoever you are, and whatever reality you want to create is the reality that you can have. This is not the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is actually, I know who you actually are. I know who you are in the dressing room and the unfiltered picture. I know who you are in your heart, and I invite you, that person, I invite that you to come to me. And the beautiful news for that you is that you can repent, that you can receive forgiveness, that you can experience healing, that you can experience life, that I can remove your guilt, that is a message for that you, not the cleaned up you, not the filtered you, not the you that you think that you are, but the you that you actually are. Notice the Lord does not say to us at any point, You're a terrible person. You are nothing. You shouldn't waste my time. No, the Lord grieves that we won't give him time, that we won't come to the source that will give us what we truly need, salvation, strength through repentance, rest and trust. And if you hear nothing else today, this is the only thing that I need you to hear. I was praying about this week, wrestling through this message, and the Lord was like, Nicole, imagine if you had a splinter in your foot, and it hurt so bad and you couldn't really reach it or get it out, wouldn't you want relief? Wouldn't you want that to be removed? That's how God sees confession for us. He sees it as a splinter in our heart. For some of us, it's some small splinters. For others, we're like bleeding out. We're like losing our life, and he's like, my heart toward you is not disappointment, it's not disapproval, it's not condemnation, it's this deep desire to help you to heal you, to remove the splinter. But you have to come to me and you can't do it yourself. You can't reach it, you can't fix it. You can't explain it away, you've gotta come to me. If you hear nothing else, I want you to hear that God's mercy toward you is a desire to relieve you of the burden that you feel because of who you know that you aren't. That is God's heart toward you. Some of you might be familiar with the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Confession in the 12 steps in Alcoholics Anonymous is not just one step, it's really like about four steps. Steps four, five, six, and seven are all about this idea of being able to admit to God and to ourselves the exact nature of our wrongs. It's about being ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Step seven is humbly asking him to remove our shortcomings. And I just wanted to read to you a blog post from someone who was working through step five. He said, I tried to make a searching and fearless moral inventory and discovered it was difficult to push my pride and ego aside sufficiently to get a better view of myself. You see, so much of what happens in Alcoholics Anonymous is not about alcohol, it's about what alcohol is covering. And so much about confession with God is not just about the behavior. It's about what the behavior is is covering. He goes on and says, My first attempt was neither searching or fearless, but it was a very important start. And I developed and revised it over many months. During this time, I began to see myself as a person who was riddled with resentment selfishly expecting life to treat me well, a super-sensitive person, always inclined to feel hurt about everything that was not to my liking, and intolerant of any opinion differing from my own. I began to see that my thinking was based on fear and worry, and then I saw more. I realized that this very special person I had imagined myself to be could do nothing against the power of alcohol. When we talk about confession, we're not talking about just the like, I made a mistake. We're actually talking about this idea of being able to see ourselves for who we really are so that we can humbly ask God to heal us and to take our shortcomings from us. So as we close today, I just wanna give you guys some very practical ways that I think confession could look in our everyday life, okay? So if repentance is the turning of the mind, confession is the act. Okay? So repentance is saying, I'm ready to see life differently. I'm ready to do life God's way. I want that. But confession is the ongoing way that we experience communion with God, the way that we experience God's healing, God's presence, God's light. Okay? So the first is is that we acknowledge our wrongdoing before the Lord. We're able to actually name things. And I'm not talking about like, I just vaguely am not who I think I am. It's like, no, to, this morning, I cut someone off in traffic. I thought where I needed to go was more important than where then ne- they needed to go, and I also harbored like unkind thoughts in my heart, and some of them came out of my mouth. That would be an example, right? I'm acknowledging my wrongdoing. Now, I think this next step is very important. Stop justifying yourself. But Lord, they were going 10 miles under the speed limit, and I really needed to get where I was going. You're gonna hear yourself do that and realize what you're doing. Realize that what you're doing is you're allowing your filtered self to be your real self. And you're not letting your real self come to the surface. You're not letting the splinter come to the surface. And then you ask, with God's help, you bring the what and the why into the light. The what is the thing, it's the feeling, it's the action, it's the thinking. The why is what's behind it. Because, Lord, I'm feeling so fearful, I'm feeling so insecure. I'm actually so self-motivated and I can't get out of my own way. With the Holy Spirit's help, we begin to see the why of our actions. We see our actual character defects for what they really are. Step four, we listen for the Holy Spirit's counsel. We actually receive what God has for us because friends, please do not stop at step three. This is what Christians do. And we leave with our heads hung low and our shoulders on the ground. And that is not God's design for our life with him. We have to stay in the healing presence of God in the loving presence of God. And if you don't know that God, he's given us his word. We have actual words that we can speak over ourselves, that we can ask others to speak over us so that we live into the fullness of truth. So we listen for the Holy Spirit. We receive forgiveness and we release the burden and we leave lighter from God's presence than when we came in we leave with our shoulders up and our heads held high because of the goodness of God because of the healing of God because of the presence of God so I'm going to share some of those scriptures I'm going to pray those over you as a blessing before we sing our last song but before we do that I just want to invite you to just take a few moments to be quiet before the Lord. If this is a place that you're in and you wanna use and practice confession, I invite you to that. If not, please feel free to just sit and receive whatever God might wanna speak to you today. But I'm gonna give you just a few moments to be with the Lord, and then I'm gonna read those blessings of healing and forgiveness over you as we close in song. Father, we thank you that you promise us in 1 John that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just, and you will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God, in your presence, we are made clean. Father, we pray the words of Psalm 103. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Father, if there's anyone in the room who's been feeling burdened and weighed down, Spirit, would you make them feel and experience that burden being lifted, that you remove our sin as far as the east is from the west, that you remove our guilt and our regret and our shame, that you take it all upon yourself, Jesus. That when you went to the cross, you went to the cross, not just for our sin, but for the burden of sin. And because we know your life and have your life, we get to live into that freedom. So, Father, as we sing this last song together, as we lift our hearts and we lift our heads, knowing because of your faithfulness, because you are just, you are the one who has removed our sin from us, you allow us to hold our heads high. As it says in Isaiah 55, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet and worship God for who he is and what he's done for us today.